Hello, Meister fans, and hello to those of you who are new to the show. I am Ben Shank, and on Mountain Meister, I talk to the most successful and inspiring and motivating athletes in outdoor sports. And I don't know about you, but few things get me fired up more than watching America compete in the Olympics and the Olympics in general. And today on the show, we welcome two Olympians. Here's a little sample. This is what we wanted. We wanted to go to the games. We wanted to win medals for our country, and we were going to do everything possible. And if you like cool stories like these, we've got a whole slew of them. Check us out on iTunes, MTN Meister, or you can find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, or just about every other podcast platform. All right, let's get going. Who are the Mountain Meisters? Committing to the goal and galvanizing you and your team behind that one single focus. Being at peace with that fear and being okay with it. You gain a real appreciation for your life and for what you have. Learn about their extreme lives on rock, snow, and ice with your host, Ben Shank. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Mountain Meister. This is Ben. Today on the show, we have two Mountain Meisters, Jamie Grubel and Steve Langton. Both are American bobsledders who earned bronze medals at the 2014 Winter Olympics in Sochi. Jamie in two women bobsled and Steve in two man and four man. Jamie and Steve, welcome to Mountain Meister. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much for having us. So you're both the same age and it looks like both of you really picked up bobsled after success in track in college. Uh, and this is a similar story to Steve Mesler, who we had on the show in episode 41. So I'm assuming this isn't some sort of coincidence, is it, Jamie? Are there any American bobsledders who aren't track stars? Um, yes. The neat thing about bobsled is that people come from actually a lot of different sports. We've found out that if you are a stellar athlete in um, you know, sports that require you to be fast and strong you know, and quick with your feet, um, that happens to translate into bobsled, which, as you know, is a pretty unique winter sport. So that's pretty cool that you can do a lot of different sports and find bobsled. But as you said, it's definitely a popular path to come from track and field. Um, and a lot of athletes that come from track and field have had a lot of success in our sport. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, so Steve, based on the skills that uh, Jamie mentioned there, what do you think is the quintessential body type for a bobsledder, what are you looking for out of a bobsledder? Being a gravity sport and being that the sleds are so heavy, it's one of those sports you really can't do, whether you're a guy or a girl, until after athletic maturity, which is why so many athletes come after college and don't start at, at a much younger age, like, say, loser speed skating or many of uh, the other Olympic winter sports. Hmm. But if I was to characterize uh, like the quintessential bobsledder, you need to be big. Because it is a gravity sport and the sleds are heavy, you need to be fast uh, because the start time is so important uh, to the end result. Uh, and you need to be strong, again, because the sleds are so heavy. So with those three characteristics, you should be able to find some success in our mm -hmm. sport. So how do you get to that? I'm sure diet is an incredibly important part of this, probably more so than most of the people that we have on this show. So what sort of things are you eating? Let's start with you, Steve. What when you're training, um, say for the Olympics, what's your diet like? It's not really a strict diet. I, I do try to eat clean. Um, and luckily for me, I have a really fast metabolism. So the more I put in, I, the more results I tend to see. But I eat a lot of lean meats, 
uh, complex carbs like brown rice, sweet potatoes, uh, ancient grains, and a lot of fruits and vegetables, and obviously a ton of water because we're working out so much that uh, dehydration could be a real issue. So um, I'm sure Jamie's the same way. We just drink water throughout the entire day and try to fuel our bodies. Mm-hmm. And does it does it change at all between the two-man and the four-man, Jamie? Um, well, every athlete coming into bobsled kind of has a unique path and unique requirements. So I started out as a heptathlete in the sport of track and field, and I weighed about 145, 150 pounds when I started. Um, And one of the first things the coaches said to me was, you know, that's nice that you're fast, but um, it's really important for you to be bigger. So I had to gain about 20 pounds to be competitive on the women's team. However, some of my other teammates came into the sport as throwers, um, as softball players with different backgrounds. So they were actually heavy and they needed to lose 20 pounds. So because all these different athletes are coming from different sports, when we race together as a two-man team, I have to take into account who I'm racing with that week, how much they weigh, how much I weigh. And together we make our weight kind of equalize to the weight that is the maximum weight for the race. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah, that does make sense. So in the two man, is there almost a specific weight that you want the sled to be at? Yep. So um, first off, we have a minimum weight for the sled, which is uh, 170 kilos. And then the maximum weight for women in the two-man is 340 kilos. So um, you take 340 kilos, subtract the 170 kilos, and um, that's the weight that we have to have our two body weights equal. And like Steve said, since it's a gravity sport, um, we don't have engines. Heavier things are going to go faster downhill. So we want to be as close as possible to that maximum weight without being over the weight because if we're over, then we get disqualified. Wow. Okay. So there actually are requirements. I didn't realize that. Steve, for the two-man, because we did talk to Steve Messler a little bit about the four-man. Let's learn more about the two-man since you did get a bronze medal in that, so you probably know a little bit about it. What <laughs> What are the roles for the person in the front who's steering and the person in the back who's kind of just along for the ride for most of the race, I believe, right? Uh, yeah, more or less. So Steve Holcomb is my pilot. Two-man sled obviously is uh, two people in it, with Steve being the pilot and myself, uh, or one of my teammates being the brakeman. The sled itself, empty, as Jamie said, weighs 170 kilos, and the maximum weight for sled and athletes is 390. So ideally, between um, the two athletes in the sled, you make up that 220 kilos, which would be about 242 pounds a person, so you can push an empty sled. Um, and if you're not at that limit, which most people aren't, you can add a little bit of weight to the sled. Now, my job is strictly to be an engine in the sled that essentially has no engine. Um, so for those first four and a half to five seconds, I'm pushing as hard as I possibly can to cross that line, cross the first eye uh, as fast as possible to give us the biggest head start possible. And is Holcomb running with you when you initially start to push the sled and he gets in first? Exactly right. Okay. Um, and it does take two to tango. The sleds are heavy. They're Ours was about 380 pounds in Sochi. So with two athletes pushing as hard as they can, obviously you're going to tend to do much better than if you have just one guy and one guy trotting along on the side. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so <laughs> we we talked about how important that initial start is. And what fascinates me about bobsledding is 
when everything's said and done, the margin of victory is so slight. We're talking hundredths of a second. I mean, this is your full-time job training for bobsledding. So to have all of that work come into just the slightest margin of victory, what makes that 0.01 seconds of a difference, both in, I guess, training and then also when you're actually in the competition? Yeah, you're definitely right. Um, You know, the margin of difference can be faster than a blink of an eye, which is definitely hard to, uh, you know, wrap your mind around and quantify. But it definitely is a combination of a couple different factors. Um, You have the push. So because we don't have any engines, we we can only go as fast as we can push the sled. Um, You don't really gain time going down the hill. You're trying to actually lose the least amount of time. by not making mistakes in your driving um, and hitting walls and stuff like that. Uh, two other important factors are the equipment. So we have the runners on the bottom of the sled. They're um, steel blades almost. They're not sharp like the blade of a knife, but um, it's just what some people call them. And also the sled is very important. So the combination of, like I said, the start, the driving, and the equipment, um, you really need to put it all together to have a great run. It's interesting to hear that there can be such a variation in equipment. I mean, we're talking about the Olympics here. This is the cream of the crop. You would think that everybody would have the same access to the premium equipment, but it doesn't sound like that's the case. So I guess what kind of sled do you use, and then what makes a good bobsled? Yeah, so the sleds that we we use, we actually use the the entire year, and they were developed uh, by BMW. And the way I like to describe it is BMW built an incredible sled, and um, we've been very lucky over the course of Jamie and I specifically over the course of our career that we've had very good sleds. And when BMW came in, they decided um, and committed themselves to, to making an even better sled, which is was a pretty arduous task um, because when you get to that top level, everyone's fighting for hundreds of a second and everyone's equipment is very good. Um, so BMW really did a fantastic job of putting together a piece of equipment that could compete at that level and um, could withstand, I mean, it's a very blue-collar, very rough sport, and the sleds um, stood up very well, stood the test of time over the course of the season, and they put together a product that was not only fast, but was um, able to really really keep up with the constraints Mm -hmm. um, and the demands that were put upon it over the course of the season. How much does a bobsled cost? (laughs) Um, That's a good question. (laughs) Yeah, honestly, it's really hard to say. With our sleds, I know there was a lot of money that went into designing just the first prototype. So that's not even, um, you know, the cost of a sled. It's just all the money into the research and development. Um, And other countries that are really good in the sport of bobsled, like Germany, uh, they spend a ton of money, um, like you said, making the sleds the best of the best, the fastest, the most aerodynamic. So it's really hard to quantify Um, You know, when I was a beginning pilot and I didn't have a sled from the team because I hadn't earned my way onto the team, just to rent a really old sled um, that wasn't going to win me any races cost about $600 a week to rent. Wow. So it's pretty expensive. So you can imagine, you know, the top sleds, it's hard to say between, I don't know. 60,000 and 260,000 like it's really hard to say <laughs> right that's more than that's more than most uh or some bmws cost so right. <laughs> interesting so what i did realize also is that steve you're a pusher and jamie you're a driver correct yes have have you ever ridden together no 
Actually, we haven't, but he promised he would push me sometime, right? I did. Yep, and I, I, I hold. Uh, you can hold me to that promise. That would, that would be fun. Right. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, some of our teammates have done it for fun, like in the spring for training. Exactly. I've definitely slid with other guys in the back of my sled. Like I said, when you learn how to bobsled, you kind of have to be willing to do anything and everything to make it in the sport. So whether it means finding your own brakeman, um, waitressing to be able to afford to rent those sleds every week, you really have to um, be a go-getter and really confident and organized. But yeah, I've definitely slid with men in the back of the sled and I've slid for men who were driving. So so yeah, you mentioned the, the waitressing. So you obviously, I mean, both of you, this is, this is your life. You want this so much. And then we talk about how that margin for victory is so slight. Does that pressure bother you? I mean, it's almost an inefficient task where you have to put so much time into something just to get the slightest marginal benefit. Yeah, I think that's one yeah. of those things that, that Jamie and I have accepted because we do love the sport of bobsled and we love competing. And in a sport that's decided by hundreds of seconds, we're obviously both willing to, to put in the work and put in the hours in the weight room um, and in sports medicine and on the track. So the gains that we make off the track really do translate to maybe a hundredth or two hundredths of a second on the track. And as we've seen recently from this past February, uh, three hundredths of a second, I mean, that can make the difference between third place and standing uh, on the sidelines watching other athletes on the podium. And by the way, the U.S., for our listeners who don't know, the U.S. had some incredible success this past year at Sochi, seven medals in sliding sports with four of them in bobsled. So, Jamie, what difference do you think this is going to make in the popularity of bobsled going down the road, this incredible performance? You know, it's really been great for our team just to get the exposure that you know, I think the sport deserves because we have a group of very incredible athletes. And it's, you know, it's kind of weird that all of these amazing athletes have found their way um, through various different paths to the same sport. Um, We have some of the strongest women and men in the world, some of the fastest women in the world. So, you know, to have these incredible athletes come out and join the team, put the work in every day. Like Steve said, it's a blue-collar sport. Our sleds weigh almost 400 pounds. It's cold. It's gritty. But the fact that, you know, all of these athletes have found their way and we've had the success has been great for the sport. This year, I've seen a huge difference at our national team trials in the fall. We just had so much interest. Uh, Our national push championships were on ESPN. And that means so much to us that we can see our hard work getting, you know, the exposure that the sport deserves. So it's it's been great to watch the evolution of the sport over the past couple years. Yeah, absolutely. It's a ton of fun to watch. I've actually never been to a live bobsled event but your agent graciously invited me to one in Lake, in Lake Placid this summer or this winter. Sorry, so I plan. Yeah, on no, doing you that. should definitely come up. Um, we have two home races: one in Lake Placid, New York, and one in Park City, Utah. And I remember the first time my family came to a race, and 
my dad said it was just incredible to watch the sport in person because as the sled goes by in the corner, you can literally feel the power and the speed in your chest. So it's such an amazing thing to experience in person. And I don't think the TV can do it justice, like how cool it is to watch in person. Steve, I'm curious, when you are sliding down the track and you have to be just inside the sled, are you, what's going on there? I mean, you, you have to stand still for like a minute. Do you ever cramp up? <laughs> Um, at the beginning of the season, you might cramp a little bit. Uh, your abs, your core might cramp a little bit. Your neck and lower back definitely get sore. But you, you really don't want to stay still. You don't want to stay rigid. You, the best way to describe it is if you think about like water in a glass. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you tip the water to one, with the glass to one side, the water kind of moves with the glass. That's really the best way that I, I can explain it. Because our heads are down in the driver's zone that can see the track. But it is it is crucial for the brakeman to know the track and know where they are at all times just so you're not fighting against the sled. And although you're not making drastic movements, it's not like cool runnings, how they're in the bathtub leaning left and leaning right. But with our heads down, we do need to know the track um, so that we can move with the sled and move the track rather than fight against it. Speaking of cool runnings, that, so that was about 10, you guys were about 10 years old, I think, when that came out. Did that have any, <laughs> did that have any effect on inspiring you to bobsled? Um, no, I don't think that... It inspired me to bobsled, but I'm happy that they made the movie because when I started trying out for the sport and training for the sport, it was the only thing that people knew about bobsled. So if we didn't have cool runnings, like maybe they would have absolutely no idea what we were doing. So um, I definitely think that was a cool movie um, to make. And it's nice that we have that for our sport. So people do know a little bit something about it. I think, you know, today people know a lot more about bobsled, but um to even have that at all is pretty special for our sport. Let's go back to the Olympics really quickly because this is kind of a funny story that our listeners might not know. Jamie recently became engaged and is actually getting married very shortly, and she told me she's having two weddings, <laughs> which sounds like a lot of fun, but her her fiancé is also a bobsledder and also competed in the Olympics. However, he is not American, so... I don't think I'll get an answer out of you, Jamie, but Steve, who do you think Jamie was rooting for, the Germans or the Americans? <laughs> um, I'm going to guess that Jamie was rooting for her teammates, but obviously um, I know her fiancé very well, and he's a very talented athlete and a great guy, so I'm sure she was cheering for him as well. <laughs> Good deal. Steve saw me at the finish line with the American flag, giving him a high five, so you might have forgot, but I was down there. No, but... <laughs> So here's a here's a kind of a funny question. Normally we have mountaineers or rock climbers or people who use a ton of gear on the show, and we like to ask for a gear recommendation. So I know you do a ton of training in the gym. Would you have any recommendations for gear for our listeners? Let's start with you, Steve. Yeah, f- for me, uh, I wear lifting shoes. Mine specifically are made by Nike. They're Nike Ramaleas, and I've worn them for four years now. And they're one of those things that you don't realize you really need until you start wearing them. And then you ask yourself how you ever went into a gym without them. I know Jamie wears lifting shoes as well. And if you're doing any Mm -hmm. type of squats or cleans, pulls from the floor, any type of exercise where the weight is on your back, um, having that stable platform um, and that confidence in what you have on your foot, uh, it it makes a huge difference uh, mentally and it makes a huge difference physically too because – being in such a, a good position, you're actually able to lift more weight and uh, in turn get stronger. 
Very so I, cool. I will never walk into the weight room without those my lifting shoes again. I like it. All right, we will throw that on your Meister profile page on our website. How about you, Jamie? I think one of the things that I really like um, that I use actually has to do with recovery. And I think any athlete out there knows how important it is to recover and how you feel when you don't recover or you don't treat your body properly. So there's a really cool product out there. Um, they're Normatec recovery pants. And basically... These two sleeves you put on your legs, or actually you can get them for your arms or your back or your hips, but we predominantly use them for our legs. You put your legs in there, and then you can change the settings. Um, Basically, the legs blow up with air, and it's like a recovery flush for your legs. I've used those a ton um, to help my legs feel fresh, and I think that would actually be a great tool for any athlete out there that uses their legs a lot or their arms or whatever, and they want to feel fresh the next day. That's awesome. What are they called? Fresh legs? Uh, they're Normatec <laughs> recovery pants. Very great. Okay. We will throw that on your Meister profile page, Jamie. Thank you yeah. for that. All right. So let's move on to talk about how bobsledding applies to other parts of your life because that's kind of what we do on this show and talking about somebody who you know climbs Everest and what parallels are there to climbing Everest to everyday life? So what have you learned, Jamie, in bobsledding that has applied to parts of your life that don't really relate to bobsledding? What skills did you learn? Um, I think some of the most important things I've learned from bobsledding, my experience trying to become an Olympian, um, definitely have to do with resilience and perseverance and understanding that not everything is going to go perfectly as planned. Um, There are going to be bumps in the road, there's going to be obstacles, and it's how you deal with those obstacles um, and actually use them as motivation to work towards your goal. um, And, you know, don't let them stop you from reaching your goal, but actually use them as extra motivation. I think that's been really important for me to keep the big picture in mind. And no matter what comes up, um, you know, four years ago, I didn't make the Olympic team for Vancouver. I was a brakeman at the time. And in that position, I could have been frustrated. I could have decided, you know, I didn't make it. This isn't going to work out. But I actually used watching my teammates competing at the Olympics as motivation. And I said, okay, what do I need to do differently to be at the Olympics in four years? And I decided that, you know, as one door closes, another opens. And I had the opportunity to learn to drive bobsleds. And I decided to go with that. And here I am four years later as an Olympic medalist. And it's pretty incredible how things happen and what you think is going to be your goal, but actually, you know, it's something different. So Nice. And how about you, Steve? For me, other than what Jamie said, which I think was perfect, I think improving my teamwork skills has been a huge part of uh, my career in bobsled, especially in the environment that we're in. There's so many type A personalities and similar to other aspects of life. Uh, whether you're working a nine-to-five or you're on the track for eight hours a day, you're going to deal with with people um, who have very strong opinions, maybe different than you, but I think for me, realizing that everyone has the exact same goal um, and learning to work with different people um, from different walks of life and those who have different opinions, um, even though they're not your own, for that common goal um, was a really important skill that I think I can take with me um, as I move past bobsled and kind of into a, a, a real nine to five type type job. It's so funny. So you mentioned the type A personality. 
That is so funny because I was thinking about this the other day, and this is 100% true. Every single Olympian that we've had on the show has never had to reschedule their time. So, like, for example, I, I, book, I book a time for, for our listeners. I book a time to talk to these incredible athletes. No offense to the rock climbers or the mountaineers, but when the Olympians have a time commitment and say they're going to be there on a day, we make it happen. So I think that there's a reason why you're Olympians, and part of it is due to your commitment to a goal, or you're just much more goal-oriented, which is not necessarily the the only way to be, obviously, because people see success in many different ways. But I just found that very interesting. So kudos to both of you. Thanks. <laughs> so to wrap this thing up, let's talk about uh, one challenge that you face in the future. What has been a, a really big challenge that you have faced as a professional bobsledder, Jamie, and how do you go about overcoming that? So one problem that I had in the past that I know Steve has a lot of unfortunate experience with as well, um, but it's in the category of injuries. I tore my ACL a couple years ago and that in my left knee, and that was a really hard thing to deal with. Um, I was at a national team camp in the summer. Uh, we were doing some team building. Uh, they had us play soccer, and my coach accidentally kicked me in the knee instead of the ball um, and tore my ACL. So that was a really um, big setback and hard thing for me to deal with because here I was doing everything that I felt was right. Um, everything was going in the way that I had planned. And then all of a sudden that all came to a screeching halt. And now I kind of had to reevaluate the position I was in, um, you know, my goals. Now I, I still had the same long-term goal, but I had to change my short-term goals a little bit. Um, and, you know, just watching other people competing, not being able to be involved directly at the time. And now, you know, I can't spend my time trying to be the best athlete. I'm actually just trying to recover from an injury to be a normal person again so I can start training to get back up to that point. So like I said earlier, I think it's it's important to be resilient um, and not let things like this knock you down. And you can't really spend a lot of time feeling bad for yourself because time doesn't stop and you know, the countdown to your goal is still ticking. So I think for me, um, learning how to set goals, um, be realistic with myself and, you know, stay motivated, even though it's not always going as well as you'd hope it would go, um, are kind of things I learned. Does it make the injury more devastating? I don't know if devast devastating is probably a little too harsh of a word, but when the injury is not related to the sport that um, you play. So you injured yourself playing soccer, not bobsledding. Did that make it any more difficult, do you think? I think it made it even harder mm -hmm. because, you know, normally I wouldn't do something like that, but I was trying to be a good teammate on that day. I was trying to be a team player, you know, be involved in the activity. And it wasn't anybody's fault. It was just an accident. Mm -hmm. So um, it's it's just something that happens. There's accidents every single day that people have to deal with. But for me, you know, it wasn't like I was sprinting 100% and I pulled my hamstring because I was dehydrated or something like that. It was a dumb injury that I had to spend four to six months recovering from. So, yeah, it was it was a little irritating. But, um, you know, I think it made me 
take a hard look at myself and ask myself how bad I really wanted it. And I think it gave me even more motivation to make it to the Olympics. That's awesome. All right, your turn, Steve. Oh, I'll, I'll kind of segue from what Jamie uh, explained about herself. Um, I think the most important thing in any sport, not just bobsled, is not necessarily to be prepared for your sport, but is to stay healthy. Because what most people don't realize is that if you're not healthy, um, it doesn't matter how prepared you are or how strong you are. Uh, if you can't compete, then none of that really matters at all. Um, in 2008, so actually my second year in the sport, I had um, corrective hip surgery, which caused me to miss that entire pre-Olympic year. And then after I had come back, I had recovered, um, which was probably about a six-month process. I had a training accident and lacerated my knee, um, 46 stitches, and then another month on crutches. And this is in August 2009, um, the year leading up to the game. So I actually missed all of our um, our preseason testing. And luckily, I was able to make it back for the first day of ice, but obviously I wasn't just 100% yet. Um, and as Jamie said, situations like that they um they really do test you and they make you reevaluate and and um really look at your goals and i think at times like that you realize how bad you really want what you're going for and um in the case of both jamie and i with such devastating injuries so close to competition um we made the decision that that this is what we wanted we wanted to go to the games we wanted to win medals for our country and we were going to do everything possible uh to get healthy Thank you both so much for coming on to the show today. It has been lovely talking to you. I'm learning more and more about bobsled and look forward to watching one of your competitions in Lake Placid this winter. So thank you both for talking to us. For our listeners, you can find out more about today's episode and about Steve and Jamie on our website, mtnmeister.com, on their Meister profile pages. Uh, you can also find more about bobsledding, USA bobsledding. Um, just Google it. There's a lot out there. Steve, I think I saw something with you jumping everywhere. You're a big jumper, right? You can jump like 60 inches. In the yeah, I like, I like to jump, so yeah, I, I tend to do that <laughs> from time jump to jump around. So, yeah, there's some videos out there of Steve <laughs> yeah, just hop- jumping around. popping around. So <laughs> thank you both for coming on to the show today. It's been great having you. Our pleasure. Thanks thank so you. much for having us. Hi, everyone. Hope you enjoyed that episode with Steve Langdon and Jamie Grubel. You heard right there at the end that Steve can jump 60 inches off the ground, 62 to be precise, straight up off of the ground and onto a box that is 62 inches in the air. That's over five feet. Check out the video. It's on Steve and Jamie's Meister profile page right under the additional resources. Also, if two days a week just isn't enough Mountain Meister for you, you can like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is at Mountain Meister, spelled out M-O-U-N-T-A-I-N-M-E-I-S-T-E-R. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Next time on Mountain Meister, we have ultra marathon man Dean Carnassus. Many of you may know Dean as the man who ran 50 marathons in 50 different states over 50 days he did one a day absolutely incredible but some of his accomplishments may in fact be more incredible than that check in next time on mountain meister when we talk to dean i'm ben shank and you've been listening to mountain meister